0: Blessings, New Birth. Super excited to share the message of the Lord with you all today. We are literally on week five of our Summer at New Birth series entitled Summit. And just I want to recap real quick. First Sunday, we climbed, so far we climbed four mountains. First Sunday, we climbed Mount Sinai, which is the mountain of law where God gave instructions. And those instructions had to deal with my relationship with God, my relationship with myself, And my relationship with others that's what we talked about week one week two we climbed mount nebo and mount nebo is the mountain of transition or transferring and it is where we see where uh, moses was able to see the vision of the promised land so mount nebo is the place of the mountain of vision but mount nebo is also the mountain of death some things need to die for others to take its course And lastly, Mount Nebo is the place of transferring. We have to transition from one realm into another. Week three, week three, we climb Mount Moriah, which Mount Moriah is the mountain of obedience. And we talked about in Mount Moriah that obedience will always be tested. Your obedience will always be tested. But also we talked about the fact that your obedience will require faith. We mentioned that your obedience will require action, And your obedience will ultimately bring about provision. And then we talked week four about Mount Hermon or the Mount of Transfiguration. And last Sunday we talked about and we said that Mount Hermon reveals the glory of Christ. It was in the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus was glorified. We also mentioned that transformation produces manifestation. The moment Jesus was transfigured, some manifestations happened. Elijah showed up. Moses shows up, and some other, and and then God spoke on behalf of himself. So whenever there's transformation, there's manifestation. We also said that Mount Hermon is not a dwelling place. Peter tried to pitch tents. God said, no, 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 this is not for that. This is to transform. This is to manifest. This is not to dwell. And lastly, Mount Hermon will always begin and end with Christ. Jesus went on the climb to Mount Hermon, and at the end, Moses disappeared, Elijah disappeared, and the only one who remained was Jesus. So today, we're climbing another mountain. I hope you got your boots strapped. I hope you got your gear ready. We're climbing up Mount Carmel, which is the mount of victory or the mount of power. And for that, I want you to go with me to 1 First King, First Kings, chapter number 18. We're going to read some verses, 31 through and including 39, and it reads, Elijah took... 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two shaves of seeds. He arranged the wood. He cut the bowl into pieces and laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, Fill four large jars of water and poured on the offering on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are god in israel and that i am your servant and have done all these things at your command 37 says answer me lord answer me so these people know that you lord are god and that you are returning their hearts back again then fire of the lord Fell down and burned the sacrifice and burned the wood and burned the stones and the soil and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they felt prostrated and cried, The Lord, He is good. The Lord, He is good. What a phenomenal story. And as we climb this mountain, I want to challenge you today because there were some challenges that were going on in the time of this scripture. First and foremost, This was a time of famine in the land. The Bible says that it had not rained for seven years. There was famine in the land. And whenever there's no rain, there's no crops, there's no growth. There was hunger, famine in the land. And God told Elijah in the middle of famine to go and show himself to King Ahab. And God promised Elijah that rain was going to fall. It is in that time, famine, uncertainty, that we see now some prophets who are hiding while all this hunger is going on. We have some 400 prophets that were hiding because Jezebel, the queen, had imparted fear in their hearts based on 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 13. Do you see it? Hunger, famine, people are impoverished. There's a queen threatening the men of God, the prophets of God, the voices of God. And the word of God because of hunger, the Word of God, because of famine, the Word of God, because of this this queen. The Word of God was not being proclaimed. Doesn't that sound like 2020? Let me tell you something, church. In the times whereby we live, the church cannot be silent. New birth, we as a church, we're living in a crucial time in our history. Perhaps we're not dealing with lack of rain. Perhaps we're not dealing with a queen. But there is a, there is a spirit going on today that is silencing the church there's a spirit right now call it covid call it pandemic call it stress call it politics whatever you want to call it but there is a spirit that's permeating in the realm of this world and it's causing many churches many Christians to be silent but I'm here to tell you new work that we as a church we are living in a crucial time in our history and we were Born for such a time as this. If you're living in this season, it's because you've been called for this time. For what purpose, Pastor? For the purpose to bring impact in your community. For the purpose of instilling hope in a hopeless world. But for this to happen, church, we cannot be silent. We cannot be quiet. Let me submit to you, church, the spirit of Jezebel has risen against the church. The spirit of Jezebel caused 400 prophets to be quiet. The spirit of Jezebel caused 400 prophets to be hiding. Now, let me tell you, perhaps we can't see Jezebel in 2020, but the spirit of Jezebel is in full throttle. Let me tell you what Jezebel represents. Jezebel, the Bible says that Jezebel was a queen. What does that mean? Authority. To be queen means to have dominion. To, mean, to be a queen means to have authority. What does the Bible tell us in Ephesians chapter six? That we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, authority, rulers and high praises. Let me tell you, the spirit of Jezebel has disguised itself through systems, through pandemics, through social distancing, through everything you're watching. And while all this is happening, While all this is going on, the question is, where is the voice of the church? Jezebel was a queen, represents authority. Here's another thing about Jezebel. Jezebel was a woman. She was beautiful. She was attractive, seductive almost. The spirit of Jezebel has been seducing many of God's children. The spirit of Jezebel in the times whereby we live has become so attractive. People now are more attractive to stay home and not do the work of the Lord. People are now, are now have been seduced by Jezebel. And we're stuck in our systems. And we're stuck in our homes. And we no longer do the Great Commission. Because we've been seduced by the beauty of laziness. We've been seduced by the beauty of comfort. This is Jezebel. It's a dominion. It's a power. It's an authority. But it's beautiful. It's seductive. It's pleasant to the eyes. But not only was she a queen, not only was she a woman beautiful, but she was a murderer. Listen, everything the devil paints in your picture looks beautiful, looks pleasant, looks attractive, but look at the end. The end result of everything the devil paints in your picture is to destroy you. Jezebel was a murderer. As beautiful as she looked, she was ravaging. She was horrible. She was a murderer. And Jezebel was killing the prophets. For what purpose? To try to stop these prophets from uttering the word of God. And the spirit of Jezebel is reigning in our world today with one goal to shut our churches down, to keep the church quiet so that the church will not fulfill its mission and its commission, so that the church can stay hiding behind the walls of their apartments and their houses, afraid of this Jezebel spirit. But I'm here to tell you that we cannot let Jezebel control us. We cannot allow the spirit of Jezebel to keep us stuck in our homes, to keep us stuck in fear. Let me tell you something. Whenever a Jezebel rises, God is preparing an Elijah. For every Jezebel, there's an Elijah. My question to you is, are you going to live by the calling of God over your life, or will you be hiding in the shadows of the fear of Jezebel on this spirit church? God is always looking for someone that is willing to make a difference in desperate times. 400 prophets hiding, but God found one. Let me tell you, all God needs to make a difference is find an Elijah. All God needs to make a difference is find one man, one woman who says, I am willing to fight the Jezebel spirit church. He is looking for men and women to make a difference. He is looking for men and women who are not using the mask as an excuse and COVID as an excuse and everything you're going through as an excuse. He says, who will rise and who will stand up to the plate? Oh, if you think Jezebel is tough? Elijah's tougher? For every Jezebel, God is going to raise an Elijah. But God is looking for someone who will make a difference. Look what the Bible says. While everybody was afraid, while the prophets were hiding, First Kings chapter 18, verse 1 and 2 says, after a long time, oh God, a long time of not hearing a prophetic word, a long time of not hearing the word of God, oh, when was the last time you heard God's word in your heart? When was the last time you heard God's word in your life? When was the last time you allowed God's word to change you? When was the last time? After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, and God said this, look what he tells him, he didn't say what many of us like to hear, oh, you're blessed and highly favored. No, look what he tells them. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. The word wasn't, oh, I'm going to bless you. The word wasn't, oh, you're going to be so blessed. No, no, he called him and put him to work. He called them and put them to work. He called them and put them to do something. My question is: Are you only going to accept and embrace the word of God that says, "I'm with you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to open door. Don't worry about this and don't worry"? No, no. There's a word in the midst of this calamity. There's a word in the midst of the Jezebel spirit that God is telling you today, and He is telling you: Get up, go to Ahab's house. Get out of your house. Get out of your closet. Get out of your cave. Get out of your excuses, and go and. Tell the king, rain is about to come down. And tell the king, blessings is about to come down, church. But the question is this. Are you willing to answer to the call? Are you willing to say yes? The ratio don't make sense. Out of 401 prophets, only one said yes. Out of 401 prophets, God only found one favorable. Are you afraid to proclaim the gospel and fear what people might say or ask huh in the midst of this crisis you know people have questions people have questions well where's the God of the church in all this if God is really God well, why all this sickness and all these disease my, my question are you afraid to proclaim because you don't have an answer for the question because people are asking where is your God in all this Listen, as a church, as the church, you and I, we cannot afford to be silent in such a time as this. In fearful times, new birth, we need to rise up and be fearless and be afraid. And some things we might not have the answers to, but we have to operate in the power of the Spirit that operates in us, church. My first point was the church can't be silent. My second point is the word confronts the word. The word confronts your spiritual condition. Look what the Bible says, First Kings chapter 118. It says, I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. But for you and your father's family, you have abandoned the Lord's command and have followed the Baals. What, does, what is this verse telling us? What is this verse telling me? This verse is telling me that Elijah was not intimidated to confront the king of his time. He was not inti- He was not trying to win a popularity contest. He was not out there trying to get the favor of people. No, no. When God gave him a word, and when God gave him a command, he was able to fulfill the command of God, and he was able to confront. Because when you have a word from God, the word of the Lord will give you the power to confront anything in the spiritual realm. People are talking, taking their faith in God, and unfortunately, they're putting their faith in other things. People have taken their faith in God, and they placed it in the hands of government. They've taken their faith in God out of the hands of God, and they put it in a mask. And as long as they got their mask, they're happy, they're safe, they're procured. A lot of people has put their, their trust, not in God, but in white pieces and cleaning your hands, and making sure you're clean, and making sure you're six feet distant. Listen, I don't know who you trust, but my trust is in the Lord. I don't know who you can sleep at night in, but I can sleep in peace knowing that if I place my life in the hands of the Lord, I am not afraid to confront any giant that come, I feel like preaching, that comes my way because I understand that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world, church. How's your spiritual condition? How's your spiritual condition in times of crisis? How are you responding? What are we going to do in these desperate times we're living in? Are you going to walk with fear? Are you going to be a coward, or are you going to stand up in faith? Listen, church. If there's a time to connect more with God than ever before, is now. Church. We cannot continue to give God excuses. We cannot give God excuses and take break from church. You don't take break from your job. You don't take break from have gone shopping. You don't take your breaks from do whatever it is, but you've allowed the spirit of Jezebel to seduce you, to entice you. But I'm here to tell you, 400 people, 400 prophets might say it's okay to hide, but God is looking for the one. God is looking for the one who is willing to confront in the spirit. God is God is looking for one, for one church. With what God have, with what God have you replaced over your true God? Because let me tell you, the gods of this world is not just money, gold, riches, and women. The gods of this world is fear, that's a God. Intimidation, that's a God. Are you bowing down to the God of fear? what god have you replaced over the true god is it a relationship huh let me ask you a question what is feeding your spirit what is feeding your spirit what does the bible says about the fruit of the spirit love guess what's the opposite of love hate joy what's the opposite of joy anger peace what's the opposite of peace despair so whatever is contrary to the fruit of the Spirit and you allowing it to apply to live in your life is what's reigning. Listen let me, church. That's why Mount Sinai is important for you and I to go up because Mount Sinai is the place of victory. Mount Sinai is where we overcome these fears. Mount Sinai is when we do away with the Jezebel spirit. In Mount Sinai, God told us, Listen to me, and Mount Sinai, God told us not to have any gods before him. That's what he said in Mount Sinai. See, you can't can't have victory in Mount Carmel if you don't have this command from Mount Sinai. You cannot have victory in Carmel. Absent from the word of God, you all feel like preaching. You cannot have victory in Carmel unless you apply the word of God in your life. That's why you cannot afford, church, to abandon the Lord's command. You cannot afford, church, to abandon the word of God in your life. I told you that the church cannot be silent. Second thing I told you was the word confronts your spiritual condition. My third point is Mount Carmel is the place of confrontation. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that Elijah summoned all of the people to go up to the mountain. Listen to me. He didn't just summon the prophets. He summoned everybody. Why? Because Elijah wanted all of the prophets to be there, and he wanted all of them. Look what the Bible says, 1 Kings 18:19. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel, and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Well, I could preach on the church combining and mixing with the world. But that's another sermon. Listen to me, church. As the Elijah of this generation, you have to summon all of your struggles. Let me tell you, the prophets of Baal and the other prophets that were eating at the table of judgment, those were his attackers, those were his enemies. You have to summon all of your struggles to the top of the mountain. You have to summon what is holding you back into the mountain. You have to summon your trials. You have to summon your tribulations. You have to call them up to the mountain and say, you want to fight? Let's go up the mountain. You want to struggle? Let's go up the mountain. Listen to me, church. The mountain of Carmel is a mountain of victory. The mountain of Carmel is a mountain of victory. You are not going to have victory if you're not willing to fight. You're not going to exhibit your power if you're not going to pressure. The mountain of Carmel will expose the power within you and it will give you the victory in the process. That's why the church cannot be silent. That's why the word of God will always confront your situation. Mount Carmel is a place of confrontation. And I want you to tell you, I want to tell you, and as you climb up the mountain, here's what you need to remember. You need to remember that in the climb, there's a God. And remember that the God of the climb is the God of fire. Look what the Bible says. 1 Kings 18, 24. It says, and then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bowls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. And I will prepare the wood, will prepare the other bowl and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. Ah, you missed that. He says, you go ahead, call on the name of God, of your God. And that God, there's lowercase g. He says, you go ahead and call on the name of your God. But then he says, I'm not going to classify my God to your God, and I'm going to call on the name of the Lord. And the name of the Lord is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Oh, he said, you call on your God, I'm calling on my Lord. And he says, the God who answers by fire, he is Listen to me. What was Elijah doing right now? Elijah was ministering to himself, and he was talking into their spirits at the same time, reminding them that the true God is the God that is evidenced by fire. Do you remember in the Bible? When Moses got called by God in Exodus, what was it? How did he perceive God? He saw a burning bush that was being burned, but not being consumed. Moses was connected and introduced to God through fire. You remember the story? When God takes the people, when Moses takes the people of Israel out of bondage into the, the desert for 40 years, for 40 years, a pillar of fire was guiding God's people, giving them warmth. God is the God of the fire. You remember the book of Daniel, Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were throwing the fiery furnace? You know why they were throwing the fiery furnace? Because Nebuchadnezzar, one of his gods, one of his one of his gods, was the godfire and he takes these three Hebrew boys as if to say, I'm going to sacrifice these three Hebrew boys into my into the the, the the fiery furnace of my God. But what happened when they threw him in? The Bible says that all of a sudden the, the, a fourth person showed up, and he was like the Almighty Son of God, and he was with with them in the fire, and none of them got burned. Why? Why, why is Elijah saying, Let's let's put this battle to the test? Because Elijah has a point of reference that God is a God of fire. He's a God of fire. You know what happened in the Book of Acts, chapter two and when the day of Pentecost came they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they received tongues like a fire I'm here to tell you church all you need in this climb of Carmel is the fire of the power of the Holy Spirit and you need to have a point of reference when things get tough take your enemy to the fire when things get tough bring them to the battle and say if God is God when well, that fire has to come down to me church let's not forget. That our God is a God of fire. You have to remember who has been there for you in your worst moments. You have to remember that God has never left you nor forsaken you even in your worst moments. So here's what we need to do. This is what Elijah did. We need to do what he did. You know what he did? He needed to repair the altar. And we, as believers, we need to repair our altars in order to experience the power and victory. Listen, when Elijah climbed the mountain, there was already an altar there, but it was destroyed. When Elijah climbed Mount Carmel, there was already an altar. Listen to me, I'm telling you. Look what the Bible says. 1 Kings 18:31. Elijah took 12 stones one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, your name shall be Israel. He took 12 stones. Why he took 12 stones? Because the 12 stones was symbolizing the 12 tribes of Israel. Elijah was telling them, he was telling God's people because the Israelites were up in the mountain as well. He is symbolically telling the people, just like fire, in order for fire to come down, these stones got to be together. We as a nation of Israel, we got to become one. We got to become united. We got to become a family. enemy church. There's all hell breaking out in our environment. And as long as we're segregated, we're separated, and we're isolated, there's no power. But there's power in unity. There's power when we come together. There's power when iron sharpens iron. And this is why the enemy has got us locked up in our homes, stuck in our homes. But I'm here to tell you, church, it's time for the stones to come together and become this radiant church that the gate of hell will not, shall not, cannot prevail against the church. Elijah was telling them, we have to become one. But when he says that the altar was in ruins, the altar was in ruins, let me ask you a question. How was your personal altar life? how's your altar how's your altar the altar of your home you know some of us the last time we prayed was the last time you went to a building in a church how's your altar how's your relationship with God how's your prayer life have you repaired your altar are you repairing your altar listen to me church your altar is an is an indicator of your walk with the Lord, because altars in the Bible were repre- were directly connected to praying. You couldn't sacrifice an animal until you prayed first. Before you sacrificed, you had to pray. So a man's prayer life was directly connected to the amount of altars. He built. This is why Abraham was one of the, was one of, was considered a friend of God. This is why Abraham, God said, I can't do nothing until I show Abraham first in the story of of Sodom and and, and Gomorrah. This is why God says, I have to tell Abraham, why? Because Abraham was so much into having a relationship with God. So your altar is an indicator of your prayer walk. Listen to me, church. Your relationship with the Lord requires that you build an altar. I'm not talking about a literal altar. So don't go to your backyard and get 12 stones. I'm not talking about literal. I'm talking about your, your prayer closet. Each stone represented a tribe. When you pray, you have to tend. You have to do what they, every, every stone represented a group of people. The tribe of Dan, the tribe of Ephraim, the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe of Judah, right? The tribe of Manasseh, all these tribes. When you pray, let me ask a question. Are you presenting your family members in your prayer? Are you bringing them up before the Lord? Or or are you complaining all the time in your prayer? Is your prayer life a, a, a conversation of complaint? Or is it a conversation of relationship? To who are you talking? To who are you talking? Because if you're not talking to God in prayer, you're talking to somebody. To who are you sharing your issues? To who? If you're not talking to God, you're talking to somebody. Listen to me, church. We are called to build an altar. We're called to build an altar. Because if there's no altar, listen to me, church. If there's no altar, there will never be no fire. If there's no altar, don't expect fire from heaven. I told you the church cannot be silent. I told you the word confronts your, spir- your spiritual condition. I told you that mark Harmon is a place of confrontation. I told you to remember the God of the fire. And here's another one. I'm going to give you the ingredients for the fire. Based on the scripture, what ingredients were necessary for fire to fall? Verses 32 through 35 says, With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two shays of seed. He arranged the wood and cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering. Listen to me pour it on the offering and on the wood verse 34 do it again he said and they did it again two times do it a third time he ordered and they did it a third time the water the bible says ran around the altar even filled the trench so in these verses we see the ingredients for fire to fall so five things that elijah had five ingredients elijah had for fire to fall number one an altar, which means or represents a prayer life. Number two, he said, Put a trench around the altar. What does a trench represent? What does a trench do? It separates. A trench is symbolic of holiness, of sanctification. Listen, if there's a time God is looking for his church to be holy, it's today some of us we think that holiness is a bad word is a cuss word we don't say it we don't live it we don't apply it. but listen in order for fire to come down you and i we have to be what the bible says in first peter we are a royal priesthood a holy nation we got to go back to holiness We got to go back to running away from the things of the world. We got to separate ourselves from the world. Listen, you are not from this world. I'm here to encourage you, church. There will not be no fire if there's not a prayer life and there's not sanctification. We need to be holy. When we read in the book of Joel, in the last days I'll pour my spirit upon all flesh. That's a great verse. Read the whole chapter. The whole chapter, God says, repent. Sanctify. Depart from sin. He is calling them to prayer. He is calling them to sanctification so that then he can say, and in the last days I'll pour my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and you have dreams and visions. That's not going to happen, church, unless we build an altar. That's not gonna happen unless we put a trench. So number one, altar. Number two, trench. Number three, wood. What is a wood symbolic in scripture? Cross. Jesus said, if you want to be truly my disciples, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. If you want fire to fall down, pick up your cross. Pick up your cross. Whenever in the Bible somebody was walking with a cross, you know what it told everybody? Oh, he's going to die today. Whenever somebody was walking with a cross in the times of the Bible, oh, he's going to die today. You're supposed to be with your cross every day that the world can see what Paul said. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So there was an altar. There was a trench. There was wood. And then there was sacrifice. Sacrifice. What does the Bible tell us in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1? He says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Here's how living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This what? Living, living sacrifice. This what? Holy sacrifice. This what? Is your true and proper worship. So we need to daily put ourselves on the cross. We need to daily sacrifice ourselves from the flesh. We need to put on this cross and go to our Golgotha and go to our Calvary and lay up the ghost. This is what happened. No fire came until the altar was there, the trench was there, the wood was there. The mean sacrifice was there. And lastly, they needed to put water. Fire would not come until there was water. Now what does the water represent? The water represents the word of God. Paul tells us in in, uh, in, in Ephesians chapter five, when he talks about marriage, he says this, to make her holy, talking about the church, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. Five things Elijah needed. He needed an altar, prayer. He needed a trench, sanctification. He needed wood, carry a cross. He needed fire. I'm sorry, no, not fire. He needed water. And lastly, he needed a sacrifice. Those five things, ingredients rather, were the antecedent for fire to come down. Elijah asked for water once. You you read the story. And after they put water in the trash, no, 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 come back, come back. Go get some more water. Now, here's my question. Here's my question. My question is, where did they get the water from? Where did they get the water from? Because the Bible says that for seven years, it hadn't rained. The Bible says that there was no water. There was a drought for seven years. Where did the water come from? Oh, that's another message. We'll preach it another day. Elijah asked for water once, but that wasn't enough. He asked for it twice, but that wasn't enough. He asked for it three times. Listen to me, church. Why three? Why three? Why three? It's probable. It's probably because he just wanted to make sure, because right after he asked for a third time, he's going to call upon the Father, he's going to call upon the Son, and he's going to call upon the Holy Spirit. Spirit. I'm sorry, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is the reference of God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right before he makes his prayer, look what he does. He says, I want water. I want, I want water three times. So he probably, maybe he didn't know what he was doing, but perhaps he was calling on the Father, he was calling on the Son, and he was calling on the Holy Spirit. Listen, for you to experience the power of God in your life, you need to be transformed by the blood of Jesus, but you need the direction of the Father, and you need the power of the Holy Ghost for fire to come down. We sing this all the time in church. fire. Fire ain't gonna fold down because you're singing it. Ain't no fire gonna come down because you're singing it on, on A minor. Ain't gonna happen. Fire's gotta come down when you're living a life that honors God, church. Look at what happened as I close. First King, 18:36, 37. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. Told you, you cannot have an altar and not have a prayer life. Prayer and altars are always connected. Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things to your command, at your command, answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back me, church. And what happened after he had this prayer leads me to my last point, which Mont Carmel is the place of victory. Verse 38 and 39. Then, no prayer, no then. Prayer first. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned the sacrifice. Burned the wood. Burned the stones. These are all the things he put, stones burned the soil and also licked the water from the trench when all the people saw this they fell prostrated and cried the lord is god the lord is god church god is calling us to mount carmel i know i know the jezebel spirit doesn't want you to take the climb I know the Jezebel spirit wants you to stay hiding. I know the Jezebel spirit wants you to keep you in the in the valley, but God is calling you. Are you going to be part of the 400 prophets seating at the table of Asherah, or are you going to be, even if it's just one prophet by yourself, waiting to hear what the Lord has for you to tell your family, to tell your church, to tell your circle? Because there's victory in Mount Carmel. But to get up there, we can't just go up there empty handed. We've got to be willing to work, roll up our sleeves, and build an altar composed of stones, composed of trench, composed of wood, composed of sacrifice, composed of water. For us to see the power of God in our lives, church, we need to rebuild and repair the altars of our hearts and search. God's wisdom through the power of his word. Because our world and our community is waiting to hear a prophetic voice so that the spirit of Jezebel is no longer controlling through fear, intimidation, and despair. Who will rise to the call of God in Mount Carmel? Who will take a stand? So church, I charge you, take a stand. Climb up the mountain. It's a fight. Mount Carmel is a place of fight. You're going to fight. It's going to be tough. But with his word and with his power and with his fire, you're more than a conqueror. Friend, if you're watching me today and you want to invite this God in your heart, in your life, I don't know what fight you're fighting. I don't know what struggle you're struggling. I don't know what things you're going through. But let me tell you, a fight is always better with someone who you know could win. And last I read the book, Revelation chapter 21, God wins. If you want Jesus in your heart, if you're tired of being a sinner, living a wretched life, and you understand that the only one that can help you live out of sin into holiness is Jesus, would you repeat this prayer with me? Say, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I give you my soul. I recognize I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Would you clean me and wash me with your precious blood and write my name in the book of life and help me to walk away from sin towards a life of godliness and with your help i promise i will serve you for the rest of my life if that's you my friend and you made that prayer i believe that you are in your first stage and first step of your new walk with jesus and we celebrate you today